Coming up, are tools helping us or are they really just making us lazy marketers? Are we relying on data a bit too much? And is it time to simply get back to marketing from a human perspective? We'll find out as I interview Andy Jarvis. This is Marketed Not Live, the show that dives deeper into the ideas, philosophies and strategies of the best marketing minds. Here's your host, Biz Paul. Welcome back to Marketed Not Live, the official podcast of the Marketed family of events that includes our live event in September 2021. Before that, of course, you've got all the other things that we're trying to currently do. Marketed Light, which is available now on demand, some 10 sessions, incredible value just for 60 quid. We're keeping that price low, by the way, because look, let's face it, it's a difficult time. So uh, I know that everyone's zoomed out and I know that people are done with sort of digital things, but uh, actually the the level of information and education you're going to get from that, from some terrific people, from Jen Herman talking about Instagram. She is an absolute Instagram legend and knows <laughs> everything uh, through to data uh, from Thierry Ungatagura, uh, through to Olive Bridge from Bonjoro. Honestly, go and check that out and uh you know, spend your money wisely, spend spend it with us. Uh, and of course, we've got some other things coming up soon as well. Now, for Marketed Not Live, this is our podcast of the event. Um, so I'm your host, Biz Paul. Together, we're going to navigate this crazy world of marketing that we live in, in a very uh, difficult time uh, that's changing constantly anyway. So lots to adapt to. And we're going to do that through conversation and conversation between me and some people who are more intelligent and can talk about things at a greater depth than what I can. You know when you use a product or a service and the people that run it are just the best? Well, that's how I think about the team at Captivate, who are our podcast sponsor. Now, I've got to tell you, I can be a bit of a dumbass when it comes to the bleeding obvious, but the support team at Captivate, they never make me feel stupid. They just simply help. And their attitude is fantastic. It's just so positive. They want you to create a podcast that people will listen to and help you with the distribution and everything. And uh, we often talk about people, and actually in today's episode, we're going to talk about people a lot. If you want a good example of a great team of people who can actually consider what it's like to use their product from a user perspective, go and have a look at Captivate.fm, talk to the people involved, and you will understand why you need to use this platform. So I've spent quite a lot of time recently on the hunt for people who can uh, give us some intelligent conversation who can give us different perspectives, different views from different parts of the world, different backgrounds, all sorts really, because we've all got different experiences. And I think it is helpful to hear other people talk about things that, that they understand. And that's the whole premise of Marketed Live, I guess. So I was really pleased to have been introduced to Andy Jarvis of Eximo Marketing. Uh, they're based in Northern Ireland. And uh, it doesn't sound like it from uh, from when you listen to it because it's from Yorkshire, I think. But um, what I really loved about the conversation was we actually started in one place and ended up somewhere completely different. Now he he, he actually does a lot of work on the whole diversity front and things like things like that. But you know we don't have to talk about diversity all the time. 
I know I'm quite keen on it, but you know, we don't have to talk about it all the time. Let's let's look at actually other other things. Let's still talk about people and let's talk about the importance of people when it comes to marketing. People will often say, uh, it's not B2B, B2C, or you know, it's not any of those things. It's actually human to human or person to person. That's been around for for ages. But but what does that actually mean? How can you use people in your marketing? And I'm not talking about pictures. I'm talking about the people at the cold face on the shop floor, the people who are actually interacting with your with your customers. Great conversation coming up. I want to um, I won't spoil it. I'm just going to go straight into it. Uh, listen to our conversation between me and Andy Jarvis. Andy Jarvis is the founder and strategy of XMO Marketing, a marketing strategy consultancy based in. Belfast and Liverpool. XMO Marketing helps companies find more customers by creating effective marketing strategies, fixing underperforming parts of their campaigns and providing training to educate and engage their teams. Now, as you'll pick up in a moment from the accent, he doesn't really sound like he's from Northern Ireland. He's actually from Bradford and he's worked with a number of global brands, professional sports clubs, media companies, all to develop and implement effective marketing strategies. Now, we also host the Strategy Sessions podcast. We'll put a link in the show notes. A fortnightly show that interviews some of the best marketers in the world and provides, I'm going to say top tips, although that's an acronym, so we can explain that in a minute, for marketers. And you'll be pleased to know he's a pro because he has an MSc in marketing from Austin University as well. Uh, what else does he do? Oh, he also runs a fundraising project called Friends Of. Maybe you can talk about that as well, where marketers volunteer to provide consultations to small businesses in return for a donation to a local refugee charity. Well, that floats my boat. That's amazing. Um, now, you should also know that he does like to talk about things like being a dad, his barbecue, rugby league and cricket. I feel like there's lots in common here. Welcome to the podcast, Andy. Paul, thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Let's um, let's let's start with uh, this friends of actually because we we I was going to say we like a refugee here. That's not quite what, <laughs> what, what I meant. Like there's some object, but we're very big on inclusivity and we're very big on uh, thinking about socioeconomic stuff as well as the obvious stuff like uh, race and sexuality and all that kind of stuff. So tell us a bit about friends of first. Uh, yeah, so Friends of started a couple of years ago now. I, I was looking for uh, some volunteering to do, but I really wanted to to dedicate my brain rather than just dedicate my, my time and my hands to something. And and this is what it came out of. I love working with small businesses. They uh, they really want to make a change. You know, you give them advice and they're like, okay, brilliant, let's go and do it. Um, but the, my business isn't really set up to work with micro businesses, uh, sort of cupcake makers, you know, that type of thing. So it's like, okay, let's do it for charity. I've I moved to Northern Ireland, as you said, I'm not from there and uh, felt a little bit like a, a, a refugee in many ways. And, and I know that it might sound like I'm, I'm belittling what other people go through, but it's quite a change to make. You know, you move from England to Northern Ireland, you think everything's just going to be the same and it's not, and it's quite different. And there was a lot of, um, learning as I went along. And I thought, you know, if that's been tough for me, who speaks the language, has the passports, uh, can, knows how to access doctor surgery and things like that, how difficult will it be for people who come here escaping war zones? So uh, I got in touch and spoke to a few charities and, and now we partner with Bernardo's in Northern Ireland who do a lot of work on the ground with refugees when they get here. 
And we uh, do the consultations. It started off as just me. I put a call out to ask if anybody else was interested. And now there's uh, there's about 10 people, maybe a dozen in total. Uh, and before the pandemic hit, we put on sort of fairly regular events where you could book in a slot, uh, pay a donation, which went to Bernardo's, and then you'd get an hour's worth of advice from an expert. We had email marketing, Facebook, advertising experts, strategy, kind of the whole gamut covered really. And uh, it was a really nice project and one that we're going to pick up again in 2021. That's it's so fantastic, and do you know, I really think that it's kind of in the the spirit of the times, really, to to give that help. So, how long have you been running that for? Do you know, it started in 2017. Um, it had a slightly different model back then. I used to just go and dump myself in a coffee shop, advertise that I was going to be there, and then people would come and sit down with me for a chat and leave a donation in a cup. Um, so, it, But in its current guise, it's about uh, just over a year old, and we run sort of in events where there's all 10 of us there, a bit like a school open evening. Uh, if you think of it like that, there's kind of Facebook expert there graphic designer next to them strategy consultant in the corner and you can just come in book an appointment or see whatever's free and pay your money and go and sit down so it, it's great fun fantastic and how's that working during the pandemic then well, we put it on pause for the pandemic and for my sins, haven't picked it up again yet. So we wanted to replicate the in-person element and thought, you know what, we'll wait until in-person comes back. Because in my genius uh, foresight, I thought the first wave of the pandemic would be done in about four to six weeks and then we'd never hear, hear this coronavirus <laughs> thing mentioned again. Uh, so it's like, we'll just put it on ice, we'll put it on ice. And um, so we haven't done anything since the pandemic started, but we are planning on a kind of a bounce back event for early 2021. We're just sort of waiting to see what the restrictions are as to whether we can do it in person or do it remotely. But everybody's now so familiar with remote that we'll, um, we'll, we'll get it up and running one way or another. Fantastic stuff. Well, you know, I wish you all the best with that. I think it's a, a marvellous thing to, to hear about. And what, what a great exchange services for a donation to, to charity. So and it's really interesting um, what you said about feeling like a refugee as well. <laughs> Do you know, it's weird. I would say if anybody wants to to try and launch this sort of friends of wherever they are, just get in touch. I'm happy to share with you some of the lessons because it's just, you know, it's great to do. It's relatively easy to set up. Uh, so please do get in touch. But yeah, in terms of feeling like a refugee, I think there's a bit of an English arrogance, um, which people in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland will attest to for a long time, that we think everywhere in the UK is the same as England. And and it isn't. I mean, England's different depending on which bit you're in. I'm a, I'm a northern lad. I've lived in Bradford, Liverpool, Newcastle. Uh, and there's a lot of similarities there. But when you head down to the south coast, it, it feels like a different place sometimes. So moving to Northern Ireland, you think, oh, it's this, you know, we have the same passports, the same money, we speak the same language, it, everything's going to be the same. And, and it's not. And it's it, it was actually quite disconcerting at first when you moved there that it just takes a, it took me about two years to really feel like I lived there properly, which was really, really weird. So, okay. So, so let's talk a, bit, a little bit about your, your business and, and some of the ideas around that then. So how long have you had XMO marketing? I started at uh, 2017. I'd been working in agencies for seven years or so by that point. And just fancied doing something a little bit different. I worked in digital agencies. Uh, what we were doing there, I felt I was kind of leading the strategy element for that agency. But we were having to pitch solutions that we could deliver. So to me, it was kind of, it wasn't really 
pure strategy. If, if a client needed TV advertising or radio, that never formed part of our answer to the question because we didn't deliver that. And it just felt like the it wasn't the right thing to do for the client. So I, I kind of left there and uh, rolled out to do my own stuff uh, through Eximo Marketing, which is you know giving that strategic advice to companies. Okay, well, you're obviously making waves, uh, otherwise I wouldn't know about you, which is always good. So Andy, when we were talking before I hit the record button, we were sort of talking about differences between perhaps people who who rely on technology a little bit much for for marketing, weren't we? Yeah, definitely. um, I'm a bit of a traditionalist, and I think marketing is a human discipline. Um, my, my logo, if, if you can see it in the show notes or if you can go and look for it, is it, it's an X, but it's been designed specifically to look like a person, um, to bring people back into marketing. Having spent six, seven years in digital agencies, you can see the value of technology and tools and how they help um, marketers um, and the value of um, data that can help marketers make better decisions. But what I think I saw over the last decade or so is the 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 scales tip from marketing being a social science um, to being kind of a, more of a, um, a, a quantitative measure, measurable science, which is all good and it's great for performance marketers and it's great for saying, okay, we've got these tools and we've got this data. But I feel like what's happened over the last few years is that we've lost sight of the fact that we're actually trying to sell things to people. Uh, even mentioning the word sell, it can be quite a dirty word sometimes in marketing circles. You know, we're, we're in marketing, not sales. But at the end of the day, we're all trying, majority of marketers are trying to shift products or services for somebody. So we're trying to sell stuff. And we're trying to sell stuff to people. Now, the tech, the, the tech and the tools should be helping you do that. They shouldn't be the end goal of what you're doing. And um, there's a line by a guy called Dave Trott, who's an, an old advertising man, who says, data is a fact, but it's not the truth. And I kind of like that approach that actually, you know, it doesn't matter what the tools and the tech are spitting out. You've got to interpret that and you've got to look at it through the lens of your customer or your consumer. And if you're not doing that, you're not doing marketing properly in my eyes. Well, that's really interesting. I love it because I agree. I think there's a there's a huge amount of emphasis on data and metrics and insights. You know, every social media platform's got a got a section on analysis. You've got to go and look at Google Analytics and see what traffic's on your website. Then you know, but but it's all it's all it's all technical, isn't it? Like, I mean, I don't want to diss any SEOs out there, but there's a tech SEO side of things. And then there's kind of like a more creative SEO side of things. And it, if you look at Twitter, never the two shall meet because because <laughs> SEO people they get. I mean, like I said, I don't want to annoy anyone, but if you go on if you go on SEO Twitter, you will see the arguments on on there. And it, yep. you know, your tech SEOs come at it very much from a data perspective. It seems, and your creative is is, is someone else. But there is a reliance on on data, isn't there? But as a friend of mine said to me recently when we were talking about coronavirus, well, the data can show anything you like. So how, so how do we, how do, how do we uh, maybe think a bit more about that human element then? If we're, if we're presented with, or, or actually, not if we're presented with, if we're, if we're being asked as marketing people by senior leadership or clients or whoever to prove our worth, how do we do that when what they want is numbers and what we want is something else mm-hmm. and look so to go 
back a step in history before I, I, I answer that question. I think the first academically published paper on whether marketing is an art or a science was published in the 50s. Um, and it was a debate about, well, is it an art or is it a science? And uh, that people have been publishing thoughts on this debate ever since. I, I'm, I'm probably banging the middle, to be honest. It, it's slightly leaning towards the science side, but pretty much in the middle. And I think what happened is uh, during the 80s and the 90s, the art side was winning mainly because the cost of capturing the data was so prohibitive that only the biggest companies ever really did it. So if you were at Mars or Coke and people like that, they kept they, they kept data. They did, they asked, you know, 2,000 people, name a brand that you know of, just any brand and, you know, how many people said Coke and stuff like that. They did that and they measured it, but that was unachievable to almost anybody. And then social media came along and digital marketing came along and all of a sudden we're in a world where... Um, all of this data is now at our fingertips. And I think we just, as an industry, just went, hey, great, we've got numbers. We can now argue back when the finance director says marketing's worthless. Um, so, you know, we got there. But I think what we've done is we've actually kind of sold the marketing boat down the river and we have made it almost a sales discipline. And I know I've just argued for the fact that we are in the business of selling things. But what these numbers tend to do is to indicate short-term health not long-term health. So when you look at, when, when the finance director or when the managing director says, can you tell me what's going to work or can you tell me how uh, well you've performed, you show them, and this is why performance marketers are, are almost ruling the world at the minute. Well, you gave us X and we gave you X times six back. Oh, great. Okay, well, we'll give you another X then. And we'll keep doing that. Brand marketers get a lot of kicking about uh, SEO events and things like that going, oh, well, brand's just fluffy. It's a waste of time. It's not. It really isn't. It's a really important part of the puzzle. But that has quite a long-term horizon. And when you think of uh, bigger companies and their monthly and quarterly reporting schedules and annual financial disclosures and things like that, showing something that has a value over five, six, seven years can be really, really difficult to do, especially if the board doesn't buy into it. So I think what happens is then we push to the short-term numbers and we go, here's some short-term numbers. This is what the impact we've had short-term, short-term, short-term. But I don't think that actually continuing to push as a short-term um, value driver is actually a great long-term play for marketing. I think we just then become a, a, another sales channel. So I, yes, we have to be cognizant of the fact we're trying to sell stuff, but I think we need to look at the short and long-term value that we bring, um, which I don't see as a discussion that's happening particularly in the digital sector at the minute. It certainly is in kind of more traditional ad agencies and, um, you know, TV world and things like that, but certainly in digital, I don't see that discussion being had too much at the moment. So, so there seems to me like what you're saying is there is a, a balance to be had somewhere along the lines because we these these metrics, these numbers, this data is is useful, but we've got to we've got to take it like the whole picture, not just not just one or the other. How does your average marketing person do that? Uh, it, well, <laughs> with difficulty sometimes. So I think what you need to do is look at the, the data that you have, which, as I say, is typically short term and present that in a really simple and straightforward way, which in itself is difficult enough, because if you go into Google Analytics and 
uh, Facebook ads, Twitter, whatever it is that you're doing, the volume of data is overwhelming, right? So you've got to find the way to present that. I always say start with the data that's got a pound sign next to it and then work back to all your other metrics as, oh. as a simple way of thinking about it. Oh, okay. Uh, what, okay, so what's... Okay, I'm sorry to interrupt you there. But no, like, no problem. But I think that's, that's a really useful um, point there. So start, start with the numbers. And that's that's because the the person that you're giving that is that's that's in their mind right so you're you're playing to the audience for that one is that yeah right? absolutely and we all know that you can submit a report of any length that you like but nobody really reads past the first page so that that first page is the moment you have to do your sales job so start with the things that they that matter to them and typically when i talk to people in boards and i sit on a board of a, a charity myself but what they're interested in, first of all, is is the money coming in and is it going to be here? Because with, if you run out of money, the business dies. Your brand can be doing whatever you like, but if you run out of money, your business dies, right? Yeah. So start with those sort of metrics that matter to the board and then dig down into the metrics that matter to you and work that way. What I would say then is have a look if you've got the data, if you're not a new company, have a look back into the past to see if you can find those leading indicators. So you've got leading and lagging indicators. So indicators that you can see if X happens in three months time, Y will happen. And lagging is kind of looking in the rear view mirror. Uh, so you can see those things, but see if you can look back through your data to find the lead indicators. So was it the fact that you were on TV at one point here, which drove something else up there, or you launch a new product here, and then you can see that that impacts sales there look back and it's different for every company but when you start to find what those lead indicators are you can then start to build the data that you need to support that so you then start to look a little bit more longer term horizon so it's not necessarily calling it a brand metric it's more of a business thing to be looking at because that's when you start to look at that longer term health as well so you're not just reporting on what you did today this week this month you're also saying well look if we do these things the indicators from history will tell us that that might happen in six months' time. What that means to you as a as a professional in your company is you start to talk about predicting revenues and things that might happen down the line in six, 12, 18 months. That's of real interest to people. And I know some SEOs are doing that and looking at predictions and things. But as digital marketers start to look that way, you start to have conversations at board level and you start to really be able to put your requests in for budget so rather than just the complaint of oh well we've had our budget cut again this year you can actually make a real compelling case for getting more budget next year because you're basing it on those things so it's not easy to do and the easy thing to do is just to go google analytics open report time frame export done okay that's easy so but it's not necessarily the best way no okay i understand that so so it's so it's almost a means to an end to address uh the 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 need to present the the case for for more marketing, but what you're advocating as a, as a whole is is more of a human approach to marketing, less focused on oh uh, you know um, I, don't, I don't know like we have fifteen percent return on ad spend for for this or whatever, and just be driven by the numbers. Mm-hmm. You actually advocate focusing on that on that human. So uh, so you're saying we do need to address the the technical and address the numbers. But you get on to the person, personal stuff relatively quickly? Uh, absolutely. So the other thing that I hear a lot in digital circles specifically is people kind of talking down the 
the usefulness and the quality of focus groups. Uh, you know, confirmation bias, uh, group bias. You ask the wrong questions, you get the wrong answers. And yeah, look, a bad focus group is an absolute waste of time and, and quite dangerous. But focus groups bring the voice of your customer in and can help you qualify some of the things that you're doing. And I think one of the other things I would do, which you can do with focus groups as well, is what we do in marketing is we often spend a lot of time looking at what people do up to the point they buy our product. We spend very little time talking to people after they've bought our product and find out what they did with it. Mm-hmm. That is a huge source of data. Just because you are selling a product which you think does a thing doesn't mean that's how your customers are using it. You know, whether it's a, a cloth that you think is good for cleaning A, but people are using it for cleaning B, or, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. Just because you sell it for one reason doesn't mean somebody else isn't using it for something else. So if you're selling glass jars and somebody's using it to keep pound coins in and you thought it was going to be a vase, is that worth knowing? You know, should you be talking to your customers? Because people are a bit strange. They're a bit weird. They do strange things. And you need to talk to them and you need to be able to decode what they're saying to you and be able to filter that in. So you've got the qual and the quant together. And with both of those things, you can start making better discussion, better decisions. But what happens, I think, is that we don't talk to our customers enough. It's difficult. It's a hard skill. We've got an easy dashboard in front of us that tells us everything we need to know. It doesn't tell you everything you need to know. It tells you everything you think you need to know. But there's a whole world of data out there. So you've got to, you know, really bring the voice of the customer into the room. And I would think that's anyone's job in marketing the, the clues in the name, right? The market. Our job is about the market. We should be advocating for the market at all times. And you can't do that just looking at ones and zeros on a screen. You have to be talking to them. You have to be watching them. You have to see what they're doing. And that's how you bring the voice of the customer into the room. I love the phrase voice of the customer. It reminds me of something that I did when I worked in technology many years ago, which tried to do some of that uh, from a technical perspective. Now, do you think you can do it from a technical perspective or... Or, or does it really rely on someone talking to a group of people about, you know, what are their qualitative feelings about X, Y, Z? Oh, uh, look, there's different things for different purposes, right? And um, so the, the tracking software where you can watch people navigate around your website, whether it's a hot jar or whether you actually do it in a proper research setup, all the way through to focus groups or even ethnography where you, you kind of watch people use your products in their own landscape. So it, it's horses for courses. It depends what you need to know. And, and technology does and will provide a crutch to help you do that from okay. eye tracking software and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, th- there's a, there is a payoff because it can be expensive. So you've got to look at what budget you have available. What are you going to do with the information? How are you going to put that there? So technology can help, undoubtedly. What I would say is make sure that you're doing something. Talking to customers is, should always form a part of your marketing activity. And if you're not doing that, then you're missing out. So find the most involved way you can do it and do that. And it'll be different for every company, obviously. But okay, so are we talking telephone calls? Are we talk? I mean, like, let's assume that COVID is just completely non-existent and we can meet in in person. What what do you think is the most mm-hmm. effective way for people to get really good, useful information about how they are using a product or a service? Uh, so if, if you're going to push me, I love focus groups. I think uh-huh. the, if you do focus groups right, they are a goldmine of information. Uh, in COVID times, trying to do them remotely, trying to do them on Zoom can be a bit clunky, can be difficult. Depending on the type of organization you have, though, 
Talk to the people who talk to your customers. So a, a soft step into doing something like that is talk to people who talk to customers. So I'll give you an example. When I do workshops with clients, I say, right, okay, Andy's coming to help us do our marketing strategy. So we've got managing director, we've got marketing team. And you go in and you sit down in the room. I'm like, okay, brilliant. Who deals with customer complaints? Oh, we've got a couple of people downstairs on the phones. Go and get them. Oh, no, they don't need to be here. Absolutely, they need to be here. Our receptionist is the first point of contact. The receptionist needs to be off reception, needs to be in this room. Because what the marketers and the managing director who aren't sort of directly exposed to the annoyance and the feedback that the people get when they ring up or when they turn up at your, your office because there's a problem. If you're not directly exposed to that, you don't feel it. You can't communicate that across and it can't become part of what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. So if you can't run focus groups, involve the whole organization. Who is it who's dealing with phone calls? Who's processing returns? Who's looking at the feedback on Trustpilot and things like that? Bring all of those voices in. That's a soft step into doing this if you can't do it any other way. Okay. But if you can start to run proper focus groups and do your research into how to run focus groups and if you need to outsource it, outsource it. Because if you do a focus group badly, you'll get bad information. Uh, can I swear? Can I use the yeah. old uh, shit in, shit out? Yeah, yeah brilliant. If you <laughs> shit in, you get shit out, right? So, um, you know, if you need to do focus groups properly, there are people out there who do that. Go and get them, get them to run focus groups for you. And you'll find out so much more about what people think and feel about your brand. That's really, really important. But if you can't afford that and you don't have the budget for it, talk to the people in your company who deal face to face with your customers. They will tell you everything you need to know as a starting point anyway. That is wicked advice. And I tell you why, because I was literally going to say to you, Okay, but what if you can't afford it? Or, uh, you know, what steps if you, should we go through if, if we haven't got that, that kind of budget, but you've, but you've preempted that and answered that with, you know, use your, use your people. And I suppose what that means is that we may not hear the voice of the customer directly there, but we may, but we're focusing on those, um, a friend of mine, Victoria Taylor, who has also been a guest on this podcast, talks about points of entry points of entry between your customer and your your business and there's there's multiple mm -hmm. ones of those and i guess each of those is an experience that they may have we when we were talking on the podcast before uh, i sort of had this epiphany that actually the invoices that that my business raises may not be the best customer experience right so there's there's all sorts of things that go on with your customer experience but by asking those people at the front line who inter interact with customers people on the shop floor the call center, the receptionist, that's a really good one. Yeah. Um, you're kind of getting the voice of the customer, uh, albeit secondhand, but but you're still you're getting some, some influence there in actually the honest truth. Of course. And look, there are people, we can probably hear them now if we're quiet for a second, screaming at the podcasting app going, but that's biased data, Andy, you can't take that. And of course, you have to take it with a pinch of salt. Like you have to understand if you've talked to your sales team and you've got two, two sales professionals, one of them has missed target every month for the last six months and he's under pressure of, getting, of losing their job. And one of them is your top sales performer they might be giving you different information because they're hearing different things from people or it might just be the fact that one of them fears for their job or one of them doesn't. You know, you have to be able to sort of dig through that and pull the layers away from it. Of course you do, which is why I would say get expert outside professionals to help if you can. That's not, I'm not selling 
you know, my service is there. <laughs> so just go and get experts who run focus groups. But if you can't, this is an entry point to that. And uh, points of entry, love that phrase. I, I just said touch points, but points of entry just sound better. I like that. <laughs> well, I suppose what, what you're saying is, yeah, okay, so the, there may be some bias and there may be some um, different motivations, but but you wouldn't you wouldn't go and ask the salesperson, would you? In that in that scenario, you would like to say go and ask the receptionist or the the shop worker or, or or whoever to say what what's your experience. So you try and make it as independent as you could in the circumstances. But you but what we're doing is recognizing that first hand qualitative customer feedback is is your ideal. What what mm. about things like um, where do you sit on things like surveys? And using technology for that kind of thing, given that we've just slagged off technology quite quite a bit. <laughs> no, uh, look, uh, surveys are great as well, and some of the survey tools, uh, the likes of SurveyMonkey and, and others like that, are, to the best of my understanding, they have people who know data, who you know, work in their product teams, who know what they're doing, pulling these together. Obviously, it, the, the problem lies between the screen and the chair mainly, and that if you put together a crap survey and you, you bias all the questions, and um, the, the famous Daily Mail question, I'm a, I'm a big lover <clears throat> of the Daily Mail, but the famous Daily Mail question, which was, um, if you think lazy, work shy, out of work migrants should be deported from the UK, you know, ring this number, and if you think they should stay and leach our benefit system, ring this number. You know, that, that was a question that they published in one of that. I think it was a text response thing. And you look at that and you go, well, the, there's only one way to answer that question because of the way you've asked it. And it's a ridiculous question and it's a hateful question. But what it shows, you can guide people with your questions to give you answers. And then you can look and go, oh, great. Uh, we've got this data. No, you haven't. You've got bad data because yeah. you've asked bad questions. And you can extrapolate it badly as well. You know, data science is, is a skill that is not my skill. <laughs> There's better people to talk about this than me. But if you start to extrapolate data into areas that it doesn't quite mean, you could quite easily take yourself down a, a bad way there. But the technology is a great way of getting more and more people to to reach out and to answer those questions. Works really, really well as well for startups. I'm aware of talks about businesses that, already exist and you know have customers and all this sort of thing what a lot of people starting a business do is they sit down and talk to the friends and family worst focus group ever because all they want to <laughs> do is they just want you to be a success don't they so they're like oh yeah great idea you should do this awful use survey tools go out and you can buy responses for not very much and send it to people who fit your customer profile and get their thoughts back via, via survey so you know i think if you do it right it can be really really powerful but you've got to be able to um uh, to be able to do it right that's the key thing okay so i think where we've got to with this conversation is that we recognize that the human centric approach is ideal because you're talking to another human you're understanding their needs you're bringing that into your potential future marketing by hearing firsthand what what that audience is saying but there are some ways in which you can facilitate that using technology that is available. And actually, that's a good use of technology, providing that you understand the limits around uh, bias around questions or uh, uh, misrepresenting uh, or misreading data. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but it, but it, but it, can, it can be useful. But, but what you're saying is ideally, you've, you're using that sort of human-to-human -human conversation to get this information out there, right? 
Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, one of the ways if you're going to go the whole hog with this and there's different, some people will say you should do focus groups first and then do surveys. Some people will say do surveys, then do the focus groups. And um, there's different ways of thinking about it. My preference is always to do the focus group first and find out what things people care about about your products. So don't ask them how important is um, this feature to you because you never really get a great answer. But get them to talk about the features or the, or the things that matter in your product. So they might end up giving you five things from, from focus groups that, that they say are important about your product. And then from there, you take those into a survey and you can push the survey out to a bigger group of people who fit the right profile or a bigger group of customers and then actually use a, a Likert scale, like a one to five or a one to seven, one to nine, whatever, and ask them to start to judge you know this you know how important is this versus the next feature versus the next feature so you're using focus groups to surface information and then using surveys to qualify that information that tends to be my preferred route of doing it so you're measuring the human input and then you're using the statistical way to kind of really throw some robust numbers behind that. So it's not just we asked 10 people, it's 10 people told us this, then we asked 3,000 people and they told us that. So yeah. then you're building from the human element first into the um, into the statistical one. So that's but I should say, if there's market researchers listening and they're shouting going, oh, I disagree, please do get in touch. I love discussing this. I'm not telling you I'm right. I'm saying that's my way of doing it. Uh, well, I think they should come on here and get on and we can have that conversation with them, uh, if, if, if that's the case. I think what, what I like about what you've just said then uh, is that we are setting the human element as the foundation and then we're going deeper on the stats and on the technical stuff and the data as a result of that initial foundation and that, and that that's a suitable logical order of doing things to make sure you don't end up down dead ends um, that, that don't matter to your, to your customer base. Absolutely. Absolutely. Start with the people first. Oh, what a great, what a great line to end it on. <laughs> Start with the people first, everyone. Write that down. I insist. Um, okay, Andy, look, that was a really good conversation. Let's, um, let's ask you, if people want to get a bit more involved in this kind of thing, is there anywhere that people should go to to read up or learn more? And how did they get in contact with you? Uh, well, we'll take those two things backwards then. Um, it's, if you want to get hold of me, it's Andy Jarvis. Andy with an I, A-N-D-I. Jarvis is J-A-R-V-I-S. Andy Jarvis on Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever you want to find me. Um, where do you find out more about this type of thing? Well, firstly, I would say go and read Professor Mark Ritson. He writes in Marketing Week. I'm a big fan of Ritson's work. Uh, he's very opinionated, very funny, and has a PhD in marketing, has a real traditional background. Uh, doesn't doesn't necessarily criticize digital, but likes to sort of look at the more traditional thinking. You'll, you'll learn a lot from reading Ritson. Um, I'm also, if you're listening after January, you will find that there's a course being put out by the Levon Institute in Finland, which is part at the University of Vasa. Uh, it's a digital marketing strategy course, which I'm involved in creating and will be teaching on. So if you're interested in learning a little bit more about this in a bit more depth, that could be a program to be part of as well. Excellent stuff. Go and have a look at that for sure. We'll put um, we'll put all the links in the show notes so you can go and check that out uh, directly. Uh, thanks ever so much, Andy, for your time and for your conversation and just, just the thoughts there. It's given us something to think about for sure. Brilliant. Paul, thank you for having me. It's been great fun. Thank you. Well, that's all for this episode. 
Many thanks to Andy for reminding us that real people should be the focus of our attention. Uh, I love the part actually where um, he, he talks about using your people to understand the impact of what we do in our marketing, but also in our delivery as well. And if you haven't done so already, do go and listen to the episode with Victoria Taylor, because there are some connections between that episode and this one. Uh, how are you understanding what people actually need in your business? Is it just you? Are you guessing? Are you doing any market research? Are you doing focus groups? Are you doing any of these things that Andy's mentioned in today's episode? I would really love to know uh, how you're doing this and, and what you're doing. And, and maybe if you're willing to share, would like to come on the podcast, then let me know and we can bring some real stories into this as well. Uh, just give us a tweet at Marketed Live. And don't forget to check out the details of everything that's coming up with, with us. As I said right at the beginning, there are lots of plans. It's Everything is movable in, in 2021. Um, and uh, look, you know, we're way off September. Fingers crossed for, for, for that. But we have got other stuff going on. So keep your eye on the website in particular and our social channels to get up to date on that. Uh, and we would love you to tell people about it as well. So uh, please share the podcast. Please share our website, the event. And we hope to see you there. And also, hope to see you on the next episode. But until then, thanks for listening. Our producer, as always, is the wonderful Charlie Thacker. This is a Like My Media production for Marketed Live. You've been listening to the Marketed Not Live podcast. Want to go even deeper? Then book your ticket to one of our events where you'll learn more about specific ideas, strategies, and practical ways to improve the results you get from your marketing activity. Visit marketed.live for what's on and how to book.